1: Welcome, everyone, to the fourth Nightlight show this week. We have a return guest because his band has a terrific new CD. Greg Martin is the lead guitarist for the Kentucky Headhunters. He has been the host for the last 20 years for his show, the Lowdown Hoedown, which airs Monday nights from 8 to 11 p.m., Eastern on WDNSFM.com The Headhunters new CD is entitled That's a Fact Jack and it's a terrific one. Uh, You can learn more about um, the Headhunters uh, remaining uh, date. We're going to talk about that here shortly. Um, Ordering the new CD news by going to their website, KentuckyHeadhunters dot net. Hi, hey, Greg. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Mark. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I am. Thank
1: you for I'm, returning to Nightlight. It's going to be a lot well, of fun uh, for.
2: How long has it been? Has it been a couple of years or something like that? I can't remember.
1: Yeah, uh, it, 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 it was a couple. Uh, ju- just a couple years. Um, mm-hmm. I think you you uh we did a Rod Serling Night Gallery episode for the first hour and you came on for the second hour and oh, okay. um it was uh, it, Interesting combination of uh, topics <laughs> that night. It was, uh, it was about two years ago, I think, and I'm just glad you're back. You know, you're, thank you. Out, out with uh, that's a fact, Jack. Um, mm-hmm.
3: you know, let's
1: start with. Uh, I have to reach over all like I have this like wall of nine CDs <laughs> you know, to help prompt me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure there's going to be an avalanche of stuff getting knocked <laughs> over at some point, but okay. uh, you know how that goes in, in your uh, studios on Monday nights. But um, let's start with some of the basics. Uh, you you recorded that one as well mm-hmm. as on Safari at the uh, Barrick Recording Studio in Glasgow, Kentucky?
2: Uh, Yes, sir. Um, The the funny thing is, though, there there were like two different rooms. Uh, Barrick has moved several times in Glasgow. I don't know why. He's he's about like my grandparents were back in the the, 60s, I guess, you know. But anyway, he... uh, yeah, let me think about this, because uh, what we did on Safari, that was, two, you correct me on this, I think that was 2016, uh, spring of 2016, right. that, and, uh, we recorded that, and we recorded that at his studio uh, on Main Street in Glasgow that was above the old music store, and man, we knocked that thing out real fast. Um, of course, we hadn't done a studio recording. Since then, so we went in the studio uh, early in February, I believe it was February, and Barrick had moved, now this is what's crazy, he had moved from Main Street over to another building uh, that I'd done a little work over there, but the the headhunters had never worked over there, but now he's in another location, (laughs) he's in another location, so uh, are we the guinea pigs? I don't know, no, (laughs) he does great work. But, uh, yeah, we always recorded Barrick recording. I mean, he's local. Uh, we don't have to really, we can all go home after we record. The only one that has to travel is Doug Phelps. He lives in Hendersonville, so he'll come up here and stay two weeks or whatever,
1: you know. Okay. So, with, um, yeah, you know, the insanity that has gripped the world over the last couple of years um, mm-hmm. h- how problematic was it you know getting to the studio you know you know, we get get into you know did, did you have a lot of material already written or did you write it in the studio how, you know, what's some of the creative process going on during this chaotic time period,
2: um, well, all of the above, I guess. Um, we did our last official show before the pandemic hit, uh, mid last last February, uh, mid February. I can't think of the date now. We played in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, at the Birchmere, and ooh Yes, at the Birchmere. Really, really you know you know that room,
1: right? Yeah, no, it, it's um a prestigious East Coast venue.
2: Yes. A really nice room. We had a good show at night too. And you know, and we, we had about we were supposed to have about I don't know, that was mid February, I think we we're gonna have about three to four weeks off. Then and sometime in March we we're gonna start back to our touring, you know, the, the year would slowly Start back up, and, and yes, we would probably start thinking about doing a new album even last year. But as you know, we got home, and all of a sudden we start getting notices from the agency that, of course, we we've been hearing rumblings about uh, the pandemic and about the COVID mm-hmm. virus. And you know, next thing you know, our dates start falling out. So. Before the pandemic hit, I think we had done maybe four shows, you know, up to up to February, and then after it hit, we may have done another five, five or five or six. And actually, uh, last November thirteenth, I missed because I actually had COVID. Uh, you know, I, I went through that that ordeal, and uh, so <laughs> the guys. Chris Robertson from Blackstone Cherry out sub for me on that, that day. But uh, it was problematic for the industry. I mean, it was a terrible uh-huh. travesty. And the um, only thing I can tell you on a personal level, it was kind of good for me to be home with my family. And and I pretty much got my basement cleaned back up. It's, it's a little bit of a mess right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But my 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 basement had become this abyss of guitars, CDs, albums, books, junk—just a lot of stuff. And you you got to I've been on the I've been on a bus for twenty twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, longer than that, forty years on a bus, and before that I was in a van. But we moved into this house at the end of 1990, and you can imagine just over time uh, things just start piling up. And in the back of my mind, I was like, well, I can't clean this mess up till I retire, you know. But when the pandemic hit, I got a plan together. I got, I got enough energy and enough stamina. And I got a friend that had just retired from being a janitor at the local hospital all summer last year, getting his basement cleaned up. And I'm happy to say that it's uh, – Uh, I'm starting to use it again, you know, for certain things. So that was the upside. (laughs) That was the upside of it. Uh, And even when I got COVID, my my case wasn't extremely bad. You know, I I just had to stay isolated, and uh, it was mostly congestion Uh and fatigue. And uh, of course, if you lay around for
3: uh, what
2: well, it was two weeks, and at that point they were saying two weeks, and, and I just got got real fatigue even if you lay around you even get more fatigue you know <laughs> and uh but I know, last year I I kind of have mixed feelings about it it wasn't uh, I mean for the industry it was terrible but for on a personal uh I, I I really enjoyed being home you know I really did so and,
1: a, and strength. so strength. With, I got a break just, so so with, with with the uh downtime is that when you wrote uh, Shotgun Effie?
2: Oh, no, Shotgun Effie. Shotgun Effie was actually – I wrote that in 1973. Oh, that's – okay. yeah, yeah. yeah, that was – I wrote that. I lived in uh, Memphis, Indiana in the summer of 1973. And I started that song up there. I had a little trio together with a couple of friends – Tommy O'Neill and uh, Mike Perkins. And uh, I just wrote the song. I wrote it about Richard and Fred's grandmother. Her name was Effie Young. And then that band, when that band broke up in Indiana, Richard contacted me that fall about Effie wanted to fund us going into the studio and recording a single. And I brought that song down, and we fleshed it out and re, you know revamped it a bit. And uh, there there is a recording of that from 1973. I, some people say 74 because the single didn't come out till 1974. But that song is way back, but oh okay, uh, yeah yeah. But that's, it was something that we needed to do because it was just it you know there was a, there's a version of it you can actually go out and look up Shotgun the Itchy Brother. And you'll hear a very archaic version uh, of it. I, and, I, and as you know, I don't sing that much, <laughs> and my chops aren't really that that up on singing. And, you know, but, and, but when you go back and listen to this version from 1973, you know my my my, my voice was really high <laughs> at that point. You know, so but anyway, we just. Uh, why, why? Why did we bring it? I, I don't even know. It was uh, they wanted me to sing cheap tequila originally. Uh, Fred wanted us to do it, and I said, "You know," and I tried it. And I, I I just didn't feel it, and, and I said, "Fred, you keep bringing it up. You need to do that one. Why don't we just go ahead and do Shotgun Empty again?" And we did it, and it just uh, it it <laughs> you know it, it was just something we needed. It, it needed some closure, so to speak.
1: Okay since since uh you just brought up uh cheap uh tequila uh that's what the only uh cover out of the uh 12 songs you just do uh, you know one cover it's a uh, you know a Rick Derringer song deep uh why did you choose cheap tequila? You know, did you, you know, know Rick and have to get uh, permission from him, or you know, doing more of like a ode to uh, Johnny and Rick's version of it? Uh, what's the story behind choosing cheap te- tequila for that's a fact, Jack.
2: Um. It was Fred's idea. Fred has been after us to either just work it up or record it for years. I I, I can remember him talking about that song back in the 90s, wanting us to do it. And it was all Fred's idea. I never would have really thought. I like the song. I love it. I love Rick Mm -hmm. Derringer's version, and I love uh, Johnny Winter's version. And and we do know Rick, and we knew Johnny Winter, but – we didn't actually get permission from Rick. Uh, I tried to contact, I had his, uh, email address, but I don't think it's, it's, it's good now because I want him to know we were going to record it. I still don't know if he knows we did record it, you know, <laughs> which is crazy, huh. you know, but, uh, there again, when we recorded it, I sang it the first time and I said, guys, I, I'm not feeling this myself, you know? And, um, and we intentionally tried to take it away from either version. We kept the melody the same, of course, but we uh, we changed you know we changed the music around a little bit. It's way different than Johnny or, or Rick, for sure. You know, but uh, it was that was Fred's inspiration on that. That was Fred Young. Okay, and,
1: he, and, and, and you know, and Fred is. Singing a uh, cup of tea, too?
2: Yeah. Yeah, he sings cup of tea. He wrote that, and uh, I don't know what that that song is. An interesting little song, because it reminds me, the music sound like it came straight out of 1966. You know, maybe it was a, an outtake from a Sonny and Cher session. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's definitely got that vibe about it. It's a different thing
1: for us altogether. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you was know, that a? Uh, it was cup of tea. Is, is some kind of uh, follow up to the the tour of England.
2: It must have been. It must. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Um, it must have been inspired by that, because um, I mean the the lyrics all point to to London and England and all that stuff. Yeah. It, so I guess he was inspired by that for sure
1: it I, I, with uh all you know the singing that uh, you know fred does on the uh couple songs and the, you know the mm-hmm. keep, keeping time uh did, does he ever miss a beat there's like so, so does, much going on
2: um well now you talking about when he's when he's when he recorded the stuff or uh, well you know the the thing I mean, is Mark he's, he's really good, good. Oh, oh Fred's 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 a phenomenal drummer he's a great drummer we're very very in the pocket um, you know we would record the music first then we would go back and put the singing on later is we how we always do that uh and, you know somebody I think Richard maybe sang the the scratch vocal on that one, and then Fred went back, actually, Richard sang the scratch vocal on shotgun Ampy. that way I could concentrate on the their rhythm guitar, so it's always good to have somebody you know just singing the scratch so we'll know where we're at and everything you know but uh, for Fred nailed it i mean the whole every every session, I think he was on more than anybody really this time around
1: it, well, you know you've had a chance to get out to um, some of the venues uh you know throughout the fall um it, how the fans are responding to the the new music from that's a fact jack
2: Well, Mark, the only song we've been doing live since probably back in the summer is uh, Let's All Get Together and Fight. We haven't really worked up any of the new stuff yet for (laughs) for live. I know, it sounds crazy, right? But we'll have to, uh, you know, on this break, before we go back out on the road next year, we'll have to get together and go, well, we need to work up at least four or five songs. You know, we won't do the whole album. But uh, I mean, you know, the response to "Let's get together and fight," let's all get together and fight has been—it's—it's it's been really, really good. I mean, there's been a couple of times where people are kind of looking at is it, like, "What are you talking about?" You know. Uh, but if, the further south you get, the more they get it.
3: <laughs> the More they get it, you know.
2: <laughs> uh, I, you know, but, but you all know, think ever if they listen to it, they know we're just kind of. Having fun, you know. Uh, but, but but that's the only song we've played live so far. Um, now, it, it, it remains to be seen how they're going to react to the new stuff. But I, I think they'll like it. I think they'll they'll be okay with it. You know. Yeah
1: oh. it it's, um, <laughs> it's it is a good. Uh, like a v- vignette of you know the holiday season. You know, it's kind of like it, it, it's it, it. There is a sense of humor to it. it yeah, you know, like another holiday holiday song, like uh, Grandma got run over by a reindeer or something like that. Yes. It, you know, it's,
2: it's a it's a novelty type song. Yes, and and some people liken it to. Uh, Oh, what is it? Merry Christmas from the family or something. Who is Who sings that? Uh, there's another song out there. It's, evident that, that it's not the same, but probably in the same vein. But it, it's meant to be taken lighthearted, you know. It, I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, when families get together down in this area, you know, the first time politics or, Stuff comes up. There's going to be a big, <laughs> be a big argument.
3: <laughs> you know, uh,
2: not not, but not so much my family, but but uh, I, I can I can remember when I was a kid. We would go to my aunt's house on Sunday, in Edmonton, and my mother, her twin sister, her younger sister, and my aunt Bertha, they'd all gather around this this uh, hot point stove. And they were getting into some crazy arguments over stuff. It was mostly probably pol- politics. I don't know now, but I mean they would get arguing, you know. And it, it it just takes me back to that, really, even though it wasn't the holidays. I think they would have they would have these little discussions every Sunday,
1: <laughs> you know.
3: Okay.
1: And, and uh, you know, like, take take for example, like. Uh, a song "Heart and Soul" that's uh, Doug Doug singing yeah. that one. And yeah. it, w- w- what do you call it, it, your um, it, is that like uh, a rockabilly influence yeah. you're playing on that song or like uh, uh, what's the, the right term?
2: No, I think you're I think you're right on it, Mark. Um, oh. That, that, no, that's that's very rockabilly Um that, that actual song right there, now, that, that song right there was written, gosh, I don't even know when, because uh, Anthony Kenny helped write that. And he left the band, uh, oh, God, when did he leave the band? 2005? So that could have been, that could be 20 years old, that song right there. And there was a demo tape of it, and when we listened to the the music we had on the demo, we weren't real happy with it. And we just ended up taking it into this groove right here. And to me, it felt battered, you know. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's definitely got a rockabilly slant to it, for sure.
1: Okay, and, and um, yeah, I like Susanna. Yeah, uh, that's well, kind you. of like one that – those uh, – um, you know the trials and tribulations of touring type.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, Absolutely.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, I, I, uh, I thought that was you know, just a uh, really good, good one. I, I'm, I'm sure sure if you played that one live, that would go over really well. But, but um. <laughs>
2: I'd say it will be one of we work up and, and a little insight on that song. Doug wrote the, most of that after he heard about Levon Helm passing away. And of course, you know, Levon Helm was one of the, he was a drummer and one of the singers in the band. And Levon mm-hmm. was from, he's from Arkansas. Doug's from Missouri. Doug said he was washing his clothes when he heard about it. And he, and he just started writing that song. And that's uh, how it came about. Um, that's one of the better, better songs. It's, it's really, really a good song. Really a good song.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I uh, did want to uh, just highlight that uh, song. I, I you, know, that, you know, if my word really means anything, that's probably one of the. Yeah, you know, I'd I say that's the uh, top. Song on the new CD. I, I really enjoyed it. It's a heartfelt type song.
2: Yeah, it, it, it is. It's uh, it's got something. It's got a lot of heart in it. Um, I think any musician can relate to it, you know, uh, or anybody that uh, you know, whether somebody drives a truck or whatever. You know, when you have to be away and traveling everything, but but it's just a good song, and it's very sparse, very sparse. Uh, You know, we didn't overdo it on the production on that one, but it just, it comes through. It's really, Doug did a great job, you know, and Doug's the main vocalist. You know, he's the main, I mean, he's really the sound of the headhunters, you know, vocally, I think, you know, because he's just carrying on what his brother did back early on um even though everybody else sings a little bit i think I think you gotta have a felt thing, you know yeah, um oh um
1: what was that question? you said something, and I just um. Uh, i'll- i'll come back to it with you you do bring in a on oh, i don't know what uh what i was gonna say on mm-hmm. um the this the actual song that's a fact jack uh mm-hmm. and you're looking at you know there are are a lot of things going wrong but you know we really should be working together to uh, put divisions behind us uh you know, how do, that song's almost like a nearly a metal type song it's a, <laughs> it, it, it's a harder rocking song but yeah I, I, how, how did you create those, uh, like, m- more uh, ominous tones? Um, in- going into that, like, harder rock type sound.
2: Well, it, it, it it's in D. The song's in D. Of course, we haven't – it's funny, Mark. We haven't played it since we were uh, worked it up on the floor. You know, Richard had the uh, the basic idea down that we worked up the uh, – you know, the – it's not like a shark, a shark getting ready to attack a boat or something. It's not like Jaws, you know, at the beginning. And speaking of Jaws, my cat just walked in here. I mean, i got this big old tomcat that is that more ferocious than a – than a shark <laughs> but anyway like, no man it's it just it's just that uh that that beginning i think kind of sets the tone um uh-huh. and i i there's another song that the headhunters did on the second album called wishing well and to me it's just an extension of that really musically you know and uh, it is more harder rock i agree with you i uh uh, it's, at times, it kind of reminds me of Aerosmith or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it,
1: it, it, not... it was. Yeah, it is a harder rock song.
2: Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Um, I don't know. It's just it's just the you know it's funny how when somebody will bring a a song in, and and they probably don't know what it's going to turn out like when we get a hold of it. That's why we. You know, the song is not even completed until we get on the floor. Um, like, uh, the, you know, the song, How Could I, which I may be jumping gun here. I don't mean to be, but uh, that was, oh, no, that, okay. was actually, that was actually a Blackstone Cherry song that they never recorded. And if you hear their version of it, it is nothing like the way we did it. Uh, the, the demo was very minorish. We just took it more into a kind of a faces, stones, XL on Main Street, maybe a little Georgia mm-hmm. satellite territory. You know, we just took it somewhere else. And I'm sure they never envisioned hearing it like that. When they heard it back, they're going, well, that's interesting. We never thought about doing it that way. Hopefully they liked it. But getting to, uh, that's a fact, Jack. Richard had that little, uh, he had that idea, I think, with that da 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 then I came up with that little one part da 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 that da, 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 you know, that little line right there. And we just mm-hmm. we just went from there. We just went took it uh where we felt like it needed to go and uh pretty intense too. Yeah it is. The,
1: the oh, handhuters uh, <laughs>
2: yeah. it
1: that was v it 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 demonstrates passion. Yeah, it- oh absolutely. Uh, um. Yeah. And since you brought up, uh, how how could I? Um, that mm-hmm. has a a piano on it. Now it is the piano player on that song, the one you toured with at, at uh, the uh, Johnny Johnson um uh, uh, festival oh. a couple years ago in Fairmont. Is that the same?
2: No, actually, that was Travis. I think uh, you, you're talking about oh. when you, you rain right, when the rain it came that big terrible rain.
1: Oh uh, yeah, that uh, you know basically washed the stage away. It was that oh. bad.
2: I know, man. No, uh, that was uh, that was Travis Fitzpatrick that played with us on that. Really good piano player, actually. A great oh, guy. Such <laughs> a great guy altogether. Oh, but uh, uh, he, 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 he uh, we're friends with his his folks, and uh, and and they I think and Johnny had taught him some piano stuff, and so we just took him out on a few dates with us. The guy that's actually uh-huh. played on "How Could I"? His name is uh, Kevin McHenry. Kevin is a great piano player. He's played with the um, McClinton uh, Brian setzer John Oates. He's been out on the road with the uh, oh Gosh, he has been on the road with a lot of different people and uh, a lot of session work And actually actually I met I'm I probably the first one to have met him long story but we had a little fellow from down here by the name of Tom Baker that moved to Washington when he was in junior high. And evidently, he met Kevin McHenry the first day up there. And they become fast friends. And he brought Kevin back to Glasgow one summer. And he brought Kevin over my house. And he, Kevin must have been about 11 or 12 or maybe 13. So maybe they were in grade school. I, I can't remember now. But I met him. And I never thought much about it. I thought, well, that's a nice little kid. He's interested in music. The next thing you know, man, I'm seeing him pop up playing piano on all these records. I'm going, my God, that kid was serious,
3: <laughs> you know. And
2: uh, we used Kevin quite a bit on records and touring. You know, he's he's went on the road with us a few times. Really great, great player. And uh, uh, he's also, I think he's playing on B3. I'm lonely too long, I think. I think that someone's got Oregon, and I'm pretty sure. And uh, but he, he's he's a great player, and he's got a son. Uh, is just amazing, man. Just amazing player too. And he's 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 about I don't know twenty years old now. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it just uh, it. Apple don't too doesn't fall too far from the tree.
1: No, yeah, that's think Seems to be expected. If your dad was a musician, you're you know, usually have that yeah. uh, talent as well. So, um, you will be uh, playing your the, the headhunter's first. Um, Grand Ole Opry this Saturday night. Is that right? (laughs) Yep.
2: First first time the Headhunters have ever done the Grand Ole Opry collectively. Um, Three of us have done it before with other artists. But uh, but, this is the first time for the band.
1: Okay. Are how does that work at you know such a big venue you know, prestigious um, venue you know, artists you know, uh, you know really covet the opportunity to play there or or not you know maybe cherish would be a better word but um you know how how does that Work for you know, s- such a um, you know, major production, you know, or, or that's a weekly production.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. They,
1: they they're
2: every week. Now, last year, I'm not sure what they did. I guess it was just televised a little bit, you know. Um, and I live mean, streamed. They, they, or- right and then maybe they did maybe they do a Friday night deal too I I don't know for sure on that um well there's a ways of looking at it now they're not doing it at the Ryman the Ryman is the room uh is the original place for the, the Grand Ole Opry and that room that's the mother church of country music that is one special mm-hmm. room Now, I've got to play that room before with the Headhunters. We played a Marty Stewart party, uh, a Marty party there one time. And and that room is really, really, really special, man. It sounds great. Now, every time I've done the Grand Ole Opry, and I did it about three times in the 80s with McDowell, and it's the Opry House at Opryland is where we'll be doing it at. And uh, it's uh, i have to say, I'm not going to lie to you, man. That's the only gig that's ever made me really nervous. I don't know why. But it's just uh, because I think, I don't know, maybe the reverence of it or whatever, you know? <laughs> now, I don't think it'll be so bad with doing it with my own band. I did it with Ronnie McDowell back in the 80s. And uh, Fred did it with Sylvia. Doug did it with Ronnie. And... Um, I think Doug and his brother did it as brother Phelps too, but it's a it's a it's a very very cool thing to get to do. I, honestly, Mark, I mean people since they found out about it, you think that we would won the jackpot or something? I mean everybody's like, hey, we're happy that you're doing the Grand Ole Opry, and, and you know. And I go, I I, was, uh, I got thinking of that. I said, well, we could run across to England and we could pretend we're a rock band and. Whatever we are, we can do everything, but when it comes right down to it, I think the crowd that really likes the Headhunters are probably the people that go to the Grand Ole Opry. Not, not, I'm not just saying that's the only people that like the Headhunters, but I think the core group of people that like our band probably are people that go to the Grand Ole Opry. You know, they just think, they, they think it's the grandest thing we've done in a long time.
1: They're okay. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. You know, yes. Maybe uh, Bean can uh, s- swing by and pick up Barbara on the way there.
2: <laughs> well, Bean won't be with us on this one, actually.
3: Oh, Bean,
2: Bean is out making nice real guy. money. Yeah, yes, he is. Bean is out driving the bus for the next few weeks. He'll be back with us uh, again. But he's out with Eric Church right now. He's driving the bus for him. So we we have uh, Dave Mason's bus driver driving us down and back. Yeah, Barbara needs to stay off a bus.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, since since she's uh, so you know close to all the main action, you know. you need to get her uh, to one of Jack Pearson's shows as well.
3: Is Jack yeah. still
2: doing it? I, I don't. don't what is Jack I'm up, 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 up to these days?
1: Oh, say What's... again,
2: Barbara. I,
3: I'm up for it. <laughs>
2: but
3: yeah, she. Yeah. You know, like, like I, I can't get, hear Barbara.
2: I know you're real close, Barbara. Goodlandsville's real close, or whatever the area you're in there. Um, it's yeah. not far at all. You're, you're not far. Um, well, you know, they're, they're so, here's what's going on down there. They're so strict. Uh, I was going to take my family, and then when I found out what all they going to be putting us through that day, I said, Y'all be better stay home because we can't even go out front, see people, or anything. You know, it's just one of those, Things I guess the pandemic has caused everybody. It was you know it's just crazy right now. Uh, But you you brought up Jack Pearson. Jack Pearson. What is Jack Pearson doing right now?
1: Uh, um, I don't. I don't know if he's resumed his uh, weekly shows. Uh, It seemed like he probably most like most venues they just had to shut down and last time I checked his website he uh you know wasn't uh performing I don't know if he resumed uh recently but you know, he's he's there in Nashville uh playing or, or had been playing regularly uh, you know if I was as close to uh that that venue is barbara's i'd I'd be down there uh watching him i saw him with yeah the almonds a few times and uh, oh, okay. I mean, yeah he's just one of the best
2: he's 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 great he's amazingly great um well, I saw Jack quite a bit uh, you know around twenty nineteen he came to the radio show one night he's he's been to my show twice once. I can't remember. Uh, Maybe he called in one time. I think uh, I
1: heard at least one phone
0: call.
2: Yeah, we did come up one time. His uh, nephew brought him up. And uh, then I played played with Jack off and on. We played a, a Stevie Ray tribute. That was the end of 2019. But there was something else we did. I can't remember yeah, Saved my life. Oh, I went to see him at Station Inn too. Uh, that that was the gig you're probably talking about. He was playing the Station Inn, I think. You know, very, really frequently. I don't know if it was once a week or whatever. Now I don't think that that, that they, they 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 no longer do electric music there, is what I'm
1: told.
3: And I,
2: honestly, I don't know if Jack's even getting out of the house that much right now.
1: So hope, hopefully. Uh, this pandemic is going to end, and you know we can get back um, to yes. do, doing these, yeah. go, going to venues, and you could be you know, back on the road on a more steady base basis. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, J- J- Jack has a couple great songs on both of Arlen's. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the the last two CDs the Fly Guitar Summit which you're on too and Telemasters
2: yeah oh Jack's uh, Jack's phenomenal he's a he's a great talent I I think I think Jack's just concerned right now he he, he's really you know this this pandemic's got him got a lot of people scared you know He's just don't yeah. want to get out, right? You he, he don't want to get out. Uh, and speaking of Arlen, when when is the uh, John Sebastian and Arlen Roth CD coming out?
1: Um, that, it's is that, uh, it is out.
2: Is it out? Can you get it now?
1: Yep. Yep.
2: Oh, I did. It's know a good that. one. I, uh, man, that's something I would I do need to get a copy of. Uh, well that's cool so, so it can't can be bought now then right
1: yes it can it, okay. it's it been out for six weeks or so
2: I'll be darned are they going to do some touring next year
1: uh, we're hoping to um, get him on the road and hopefully John will uh Join, join him. They did uh, one show at the Grand Old Opry oh. in er, uh, early October.
2: That's about right. That's that's correct. So they actually played the Opry. Mm-hmm. Oh that's cool. That's cool. They come back down. I love to see them together. You know. I hope that you think they might come back to Nashville sometime and spend some time, maybe two or three days.
3: Or
1: um, I, I don't know about that, but I, um, I, I hope they do. It just they had a great time, and I'm sure they'd love to you know, connect with even more people. Yeah, a little bit of video I saw of them playing together was really terrific. You know, playing "Welcome Back, Carter" together.
2: That's <laughs> great, man. Well, I'd love to see them live. I really, you know.
1: Uh,
2: well, I'll, I'll be, I'll be looking for that CD. I just didn't realize, somehow I missed uh, from being on the road
1: and everything. I must have missed
2: it being out. You know, I knew it was coming.
1: It, it, it it's, it, it, it's worth. Uh getting it it's uh, some some eleven spoonful songs, you know, reworked. Oh. Uh, yeah they did a terrific job of uh, Maria Moldors on it. Oh that's cool. Yeah. Well oh, I'm a
2: big fan of John. am you know, Arlen as well, but it John and that was the first concert I ever ever attended was in 1966 was the Love and Spoonful. So you can imagine the place that John holds wow. my heart. Yeah. <laughs> First guy I ever saw play a Les Paul. i never uh, seen a he... Les Paul. matter of fact, I've, I've got a copy of his Les Paul. Uh matter of fact, he's sitting here next to me. I, it's strange we're talking about it. I, it uh, gives a nitty of his old Les Paul that belongs to Gordon Kennedy now. You know, and yeah. uh, I, I happen to have one.
1: It, he after listening to that cd and, and becoming more familiar with um, john's legacy just uh being a like just solo artist at woodstock yep what what a fantastic Career he's had, and you know the legacy that he is going to leave is just uh, yeah. phenomenal. Absolutely,
2: yeah. He's written some of the greatest songs of all time, man. Um, it's such a sweet guy. Uh, I, I I'm blessed to have to have met him and got to know him a little bit, and um, because, you know, when I was a kid, 1966, Memorial Auditorium, watching The Loving Spoonful, I was mm, I was 13 years old. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought that I'd ever even meet the man, you know. And uh, we've actually, you know, I've had him on my show a couple times. And, uh, and a couple times, and... On the phone, and he's just a just a sweet person. Him and Catherine, his wife, they're both really great people. And yeah, you're right. He's, he's got he's got such a legacy. Uh, what a, what a what a great songwriter! I love, and I love the way he plays that Mississippi John Hurt style guitar stuff. He does it's it's wonderful. And, and oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, and his harmonica playing too, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's he's on a uh, Auto harp. He's great. On, he's great on that too, man. He's just just so talented, you know.
1: Yeah, and he did a lot of work with the Doors. Yeah. As, sure as well, and It's like oh my gosh, and, and that, you know that's like, you know, being, you know, on, on playing dates with the Doors and doing stuff with you know. So, supposedly he did more in the studio than a lot of people realize, but yeah, you know, just having a chance to work in like that realm is
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, like, you know, geez, I'd, you know, uh, I'd be in awe of something like that. Uh, and that's just r- r- s- something that is i i i, I, I you just lose you know, th- there's like no words for it it's, it's, he was there
2: yeah he was there man he was he was a, <laughs> he was right in the midst of it and we were lucky that we were breathing the air and still and and, and uh hearing this stuff as it was happening, of course, he was there as it was being created, right there on the spot. But, yeah. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, john John got quite a legacy. I mean, he came out of the folk scene in Greenwich Village, you know, uh, hanging out with mm-hmm. Dylan. He knew Bob Dylan. Uh, he came up with the Jug Band music. Uh, and uh, I mean, he knew a lot of the, you know, the folks that went on to, to start, the Mamas and the Papas. He knew all those people. And uh, of course, when The Love and Spoonful hit it, uh, what I remember Do You Believe in Magic? when it came out in the summer of 1965. Uh, God, what a what a sound. Hearing that sound come over an AM radio when you were a kid, you know? And uh, I just, I love that band, uh, The Love and Spoonful. Love them. Zal, John, Joe. And, uh, let's see, who am I missing here? Joe and Steve, Steve the bass player, Steve Boone, Joe Butler, Val y- Yanovsky and John Sebastian. I mean, they're, to me, they're about like the Beatles to me, you know? You know, uh, great. Uh,
1: yeah. Th- that, uh, uh Spoonful songbook CD that John and Arlen did is it, it, it it is a, a uh, terrific CD. I highly recommend that uh, for, for anyone. It, it, it's just uh, well done. You yeah, really can't get any better.
2: I will actually check into that when we get on with later on. I'm gonna. I'll get me a copy of that uh i cause i'm a big uh I love Arlen too, as you know, and them two mm-hmm. they them them two are neighbors pretty much right or are they, uh, like
1: they live, i i think they're pretty close
2: to are kind of pretty close.
1: close together,
2: yeah, they don't live that far apart, you know, but you know you know of course when you think about John Sebastian when he came out of loving spoonful. They were one of the top bands for about two, three years, mm-hmm. and he went straight into the singer-songwriter thing, and he did that really, really well. He, you know, he was, he was just uh, as well versed as a. Uh, you could put him on, like I say, anybody could hold a crowd at Woodstock like he did, with just a guitar. Yep, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. You know, pretty amazing. He wasn't even
1: he wasn't even scheduled to be there.
2: No. <laughs> no. It may it maybe maybe uh he was in maybe his head was in just the right space. That <laughs> yeah, he could do that. I don't know, man. He's got the best smile on his face during that whole thing, you know. True. Uh <laughs> I love it. There's there's just something about that <laughs> I love that guy, man. He's just he's just too cool. And uh, then what's so funny too? You 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 skip ahead about 1976. You know he's been recording for um, whatever label he was on at the time. I'm I'm sorry, what label it was. Uh, they were getting ready to drop his contract, and he you know he he was on his last last recording, and then Cotter becomes a huge hit off that last album. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the cards are all in his hands you know <laughs> so that's a little that that's one case a little justice done for an artist right there you know
3: <laughs> yeah but,
2: you
1: know on arlen's uh slide guitar summit you, you know you, Do uh, two songs, "The Peach Picking Time" in Georgia and "Amazing Grace," and then Mm -hmm. you did uh, an "Amazing Grace" also with your My Jeremiah's uh, band. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Let's. let's Switch out gears and go over to oh, the yeah. mighty Jeremiah band. It, well, yeah, you, you thats just one, one CD that you did. Is that correct?
2: Yes, we did. We did one CD, and that was. Um, it really didn't start out as a CD. Anything particular? Because the recording of it, if, I'm, if I, I'd have to really think this through. Crazy, I think the initial recording must have started around 1992, and 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 oh, I just I, I I was just going to barracks. This is after the, the you know the the original headhunters with Ricky and Doug imploded in June of '92, and uh, we had to put the band back together. You know, uh, Doug was gone from the band for a little bit. If you, if you look in this, you know, uh, they both left to do the Brother Phelps thing for a while. Doug came back, I, I can't tell you when, 1995, 96. He was gone about two, three years. And uh, so I was just going over barracks with with a couple of guys for fun, just knocking out things just, just to have something to do, you know, because there was mm-hmm. a lot of stress going on at that that point and uh I, so after about two or three you know we recorded a few things so I, I want what jimmy hall would sound like singing on two or three of these songs and i brought him up to sing on john the revelator and a couple other things and i went oh my god this is great uh i need to turn this and you know this this may not have been so like honestly there was meant to be an album or anything in particular. So probably around 2000 is when I start thinking, well, this could be a, a project, you know, that we can release, and you know, it's got, it's it's gospel overtones, and it's mm-hmm. you know strong, you know, positive message, and uh, we weren't beating people over the head with the Bible by no means. It, it, the album was, it's an album that some good old boys can go out and get drunk on Saturday night, yeah. <laughs> and listen to it and get a good message out of it, you know. Hopefully they won't run off the road, and uh, but you know I don't think it was released uh, officially until about 2005 or six. I, I think uh, look at the back of the album. You know, you know the funny thing is, Mark, the album is right now we're out of stock on it. Uh, I just now got word from from the manufacturing company in Cincinnati. I've been trying to get a hold of these people for for about a month. And then, finally, yesterday, I got a response back from them and so I'm hoping it may not be till January. I should have more copies back in stock. I hope you know you know, because, I mean I've been down to like five copies here recently you know and all of a sudden, people start ordering the things you know i, I you know but it'll be back in stock here, and then who knows you know. Could me and Jimmy, me and Jimmy, our plan together, uh, December twenty eighth in Bowling Green, uh, with some of the Jeremiah's. It's a we do a benefit every year called Jambodians. Sam Bush shows up, comes. I, I do it. Uh, Joe Nell Monster mm-hmm. and different people, and uh, we usually we we'll end up doing three or four things from the Jeremiah's album that night, you know. But huh, that, that album. Go ahead.
1: No, I, I, I was just gonna say. So it, it, it just really just started off as yeah, you know, just to, so, so, something to pass the time. But you know, you, yeah, you bring in some really uh, amazing artists. You know, like J- Jimmy Hall. You know, he has. Yeah uh his, his own uh legacy uh um Bramlett is mm-hmm. on I I I'm sure she had lots of amazing uh Clapton and George Harrison and pro, you know probably some Dickie Betts uh
2: yeah, stories exactly, to yes.
1: tell yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> I've had her on my radio show but but in the studio, yeah, she told two or three. Uh, every 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 person you mentioned just then, I heard her talking about, you know, and uh, she even <laughs> she even told one story about knocking Elvis Costello off a bar stool. <laughs> yeah. I think you can look that up. I think anybody who wants to look that up out there can look it up. <laughs> Evidently, he said something derogatory about somebody, and she didn't like it. And I think he knocked the crap out
3: of him. <laughs>
2: but, you know, probably rightfully so. He probably said something he shouldn't have said. But, yeah, she, she told some great stories. I had her at the studio one day, and she sang on some stuff. Now, there was an outtake uh called Taken Back My Name that didn't make the album and I think you can look that up on YouTube under Mighty Jeremiah's Taken Back My Name and it's out there somewhere. so it's a whole different trip altogether it's it's a good uh, Kevin McKendry's on piano on that too by the way you know and uh, that track (laughs) probably should have made the album probably what I'd like to do eventually is Remaster it. I don't know about remixing. I think I think maybe just remastering that would be fine, and maybe get some bonus tracks
1: together and uh,
2: maybe release a a extended version of it somehow.
1: You know, two two CD. Uh, that's an. uh, I I really like that one too, and you know you have uh, Phil Cegi on it.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: great. Yeah, he's he's been doing uh, a little bit of every type of music for uh, over fifty years. Mhm. Mhm.
3: Um, he he's a uh,
1: he's kind of uh, uh local to me. Uh, his yeah, that's right. His Status in the you know region is you know legendary. It, 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 I, I, I've I unfortunately never been able to uh, see one of his performances. I, I'd I'd like to, but well, I, I'm, I'm just. Uh,
2: yeah, how old are you, Mark? Almost fifty-five. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm I'm much older than you. Um you missed out on Glass Harp because you're, you're, you, mm-hmm. you were too young for Glass Harp. Uh, now right. you grew up. You grew up not too. I mean, in the area that that, that Phil Cady sprang out of. Uh, now, wh- mm-hmm. wh- did you, did, wh- where did you grow up at?
1: In in uh, West Virginia's northern panhandle.
2: Well, that's not, uh, so. How far would like? Uh, Oh, Probably God.
1: hour and a half.
2: He's from two Ohio, hours right? from Youngstown. Yeah. Is that where he's from? Yeah. yeah, yeah, man, you grew up in the area where his legend looms large, you know. Uh, it does, man. Well, here's the deal. When when I was in high school in Edmonton, the only way we had to find out about new music was radio. And if we're, we where I grew up, I had we could we were lucky if we could get Nashville T V very seldom did we get Nashville. We had a station out of bowling green we could get. Uh, all we had when you know, when I first started listening to music all we had was AM radio. Uh so there was an underground radio show out of WCFL in Chicago called the Subterranean Circus that came on every Sunday night uh and the DA was Ron Britton so I would hear things on that. But but I would go to Louisville, because I'm from Louisville originally, and uh, I would go to Louisville, and I would spend time with my old school friends up there. And I remember specifically being in Louisville for Thanksgiving one year. It had to be around 1970, 71. And these guys said they saw this guitar player play at Ludlow's Garage in Cincinnati, and Mm -hmm. He made his guitar sound like a violin. They were talking about Phil Kagi, who they were talking about, because they talked about the band Glass Harp. They saw Glass Harp, and uh, and I remember that, and it stuck with me. And so in 1972, there was a little radio shop here in Glasgow, sold stereos, records, TVs, radios, whatever, you know, and a few musical instruments, and they had a bunch of uh, uh radio copies of, you know, like promo records, 45s. And they had a glass harp record. Village Queen and uh, what's the other side? Child of Fantasy, I think. And I went, oh, God, this is the guy they were talking about. And I, so I took the record home and I went, okay, I I like this, this band, you know. And I could tell the guy was a great guitar player. Then a couple months later I bought their second album called Synergy. So, Mm -hmm. I I became a fan of Phil Kagey, you know, by 72, I was a huge fan. And it's one of those situations, uh, I got a friend that lives in uh, Oil City, Pennsylvania. You know where that's at probably, right? Right, yeah. I got a friend up here, Neil Williams. I don't even know how we met. There was a girl that wrote for it. I know how we met. There was a girl named Anastasia, and she wrote for a paper out of Ohio, and I was. She interviewed me one time for the Headhunters. and I got talking about glass harp, and she was a big fan too. And I said, "Well, I would love to find some glass harp recordings." And she turned me on to Neil Williams, who had a bunch of bootlegs live, you know, and uh, wow. and in return, Neil. Uh, hooked me in Phil Kagey up. And, uh, and Phil's just a sweetheart. I mean, he's he's like Jack Pearson. They're just both great, great, great players. As you know, Phil's been in the Christian music uh, uh, market for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but he does everything, man. Not just Christian music. He can do anything. He can do anything. But I was lucky enough to get him on. Uh, on a couple of tracks on the, on the jeremiah's thing it, it was it was wonderful
1: having him oh yeah and he's on uh revelator and he also yep.
2: does, yeah D
1: does, does the amazing great uh
2: yep yep he's on okay. great revelator i don't think he's on anything else you know, I've got some other recordings he and I have done together, but we haven't done anything with him yet, uh, like little instrumental things. Um, oh, he's such a sweetheart. Good, Great guy. Great person.
1: Yeah, um I do like his R- Ravenna CD. That's so- something really unique.
2: Which one's that now?
1: R- Ravenna? It's um, like a, a lot of acoustic. Um,
2: no, no, I've heard that. one. I've got a lot of music by him, is that is that uh, fairly recent? By chance? Yeah, it it, it it
1: it it it's a, a new CD. Um, if if you like, you know, kind of like that acoustic music, hypnotic acoustic music that you know relaxes you, inspires you, you know, that kind of sure. thing. Sure. It, it's, he, he it does an excellent job oh, on... He was, he's
2: amazing. He's so creative. So creative. Yeah,
1: yeah uh, I, oh. I really like that one too. I, I, I uh, ho- hope that uh, Glass Harp can, yeah. you know, do a few more performances. I'd just, you know, like to see them at, at, at some point.
2: You, you, but, need um, to, you need to try to catch Glass Harp. Yeah. John and Dan and Phil are, are really great together. They're great together. They were so far ahead of their time when they played together. You know, and um, I never saw them live till later on. I never saw them live, you know, uh, in, in the early 70s. By the time I got hip to them, they were pretty much breaking up, you know, and I mean, I had, I had like I said, I had friends that see them playing and, and talking about how great they were, but and I've seen them now. I mean, yeah, when they get together, they're still
1: on top of it, man. They're they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it it since we're talking about uh, so much gospel music and get, sure. um, you know, a lot of these. Uh, you know the dark legends around the blues, but
3: mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. just
1: a couple weeks ago, y- you uh, devoted m- most of uh, your lowdown hoedown show to uh, Mavis Staples,
3: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
1: yeah, you know, she she weaves gospel and blues together and yeah you know, she's well, probably in a her own category of you know, this this is the pinnacle of achievement in this uh genre she you know, the tracks you uh chose uh, were were uh, just fantastic
2: thank you well she is amazing isn't she
1: Um,
0: um,
1: sprang mm-hmm. out of the
2: you know her her roots are the staple singers you know her, her mm-hmm. dad was pop staples and um, I think eventually they just kind of went to a trio but uh, early on I think there were four of them you know I think Cleosis is one of the sisters I well, I may be wrong about that. That may be a guy's name. I'm sorry if I got it wrong, but but there were there were, I think early on there were two girls and 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 one of the sons was singing with pops and uh, that stuff is really amazing. Uh, and I guess what really put me on that path for the gospel show was I had Rick Holmstrom on the radio show early November, if you remember, and Rick then. Yeah. He's been Mavis Staples guitarist for eight years now, eight or nine years, and um, he's a great guitar player, too, so many great guitar players out there, and um, so it got me thinking about Mavis, you know, and I thought, well, maybe I should feature her for the Thanksgiving (laughs) That's, that's generally what I do every Thanksgiving on the radio show. Thanksgiving week, I'll have gospel music, usually. I usually have a gospel – not always, but usually I end the show with a gospel song. Not always, but I try to anyway. Take it from the dark side oh. of the light. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: but it it, 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 it was – yeah know, um, yeah, that is the show – with, uh, you know, f- featuring Mavis's um, mm-hmm. songs was, you know, w- really left an imprint on me. Uh, uh, B- Boone was really blown away by it, too. And you know, he, you know, he, he, I usually let him know, hey, hey I'm tuned in, He's like, okay, glad, you know, glad to see you, and, you know, uh, about halfway through it, you know, he, he wrote so- something about, uh uh she, you know, she she's just uh, an amazing singer yeah. and yeah. The, it, the, then is you know just a couple weeks earlier you had rick, rick on and you know you just go to yeah. uh the next day you know go go to youtube and uh, playing some of his uh uh you know hit hit the full album and with the mm-hmm. uh, sunrise uh Uh, Yeah, whatever it's called, Something Sunrise. And uh, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he he is, uh, Rick is a uh, phenomenal uh, musician as well. So, you know, you had him as a guest for, what, about an hour? Yeah, yeah,
2: and I had Rick on. The first time I had Rick on was God, I couldn't remember. I we never could figure out the year, but it had to be let me think about this. I, I started doing the show at D ninety three in two thousand and one. He probably was on my show probably around two thousand two, two thousand
1: three, that far back. Early okay early on.
2: Mhm. I saw him play in Louisville. I met him playing in Louisville. I'm pretty sure he's playing with the North Mississippi All Stars. And lost straight jackets. I'm I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know he was playing with. Uh, pretty sure he was with those guys. And uh, it, you know, he, I had him on about an hour, and I, you know, I didn't want to have him back on the show forever. And I'm not the. I'm not the the most organized person in the world. That's why I need Moon Frog. <laughs> we probably need each other. Tactically, you don't know the truth, you know, but but uh, he helps point me in the right direction you know, a lot of times, but, you know. Yeah. And I get, especially when I get out there touring and things get crazy, you know, I just uh, uh, get chasing my he's tail. A good
1: producer. I,
2: he helps out a lot. Uh, he's really helped a, a bunch, you know, since he got involved last year, you know, and uh, lucky to have him. Have you heard his radio show?
1: Oh uh, No, I'm going to have to.
2: He does a great job, man. You know, uh, he, he uh, does, uh, I'm
1: gonna...
2: oh, he does a phenomenal job. He does a really, really good job. Now, he don't do his live. It, it's recorded. It's two hours on Saturday night on, on the Hoss in Edmonton. It's called Rockin' Roots. It's really good, man. He does a great job. Yeah.
1: Okay, I'll,
2: I'll have
1: to get check a link. Check it out. Check yeah, it, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, I'm gonna have to send him a message uh, tomorrow. Uh, I want list, to l- listen to that, uh, but um, you know, I'll, I'll have to get uh, Boone as a guest at some point too. Um yes. And let's see what. With, um, you know, G- Jimmy, you know, since, since we're talking about all these, um, oh, yeah, guitarists, yeah, you know, that's, you know, the instrument that, uh, defines, you know, blues. Um, but with people like, G- you know, you bring in Jimmy Hall, uh, mm-hmm he's a Mm -hmm. terrific harmonica player. Uh, You're friends with Charlie Musclewhite. Um, Mm -hmm. What makes the harmonica uh, like the second most important blues instrument?
2: You know, I don't know. It's so vocal like, and it might be just. It maybe maybe it's maybe it's really, maybe it could be right there with guitar. Maybe it's not second. You know, I wonder.
1: They go together. Listen,
2: they they do. They're perfect together, aren't they? Uh, when you listen to Little Walter, who pioneered, was one of the pioneers for amplified blues harmonica playing. You know and. His style of playing really inspired Dwayne Almond's slide playing. Oh, you know a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dwayne Almond. Uh, it's well known that he pretty much copied a lot of uh, Elmore. Not Elmore James, but he did copy Elmore James a little bit on slide. But Dwayne was copying a lot of Little Walter licks on the harm, harmonica licks. You know, just just transposing them over to slide guitar and um you know when you listen to that style which heavily influenced Paul Butterfield Charlie Musselwhite Kim Wilson people like that you know later on mm-hmm. uh and then has got Sonny Boy Williamson number number 2 there's two different Sonny boys so i'm talking about uh, Rice Miller from Arkansas uh, he uh his harmonica playing was not really amplified. He just kinda of played into a microphone. And it sounds almost like very vocal like it sometimes. And and I can tell you I can tell you about another another guy, if you want to check him out. He's not really known as a blues player, but he's from this area I'm from. He's mm-hmm. from the same county where I live now, Barron County, Kentucky. His name was Salty Holmes. It- Salty Holmes, H O L E S, and he okay. recorded. He recorded back in the, uh, I'm going to guess 50s, 40s, 50s, and he had a song called Mama Blues, and the harmonica actually talks. <laughs> he makes the harmonica sound like it's talking, you know. And I guess Salty went on to be a, like a, a cowboy actor or something like that, you know. Uh, I don't know much about him other than he's kind to of the Holmes family down here. You know, he lived here when he was young. But I don't know. I th- I think to answer your question is this so vocal-like, and I think that's what is so appealing to any instrument. And what 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 even drew me to guitar, especially when I've heard Eric Clapton and the is that the guitar took on a real vocal characteristic as B.B. King's style does, you know? And mm-hmm. I think harmony right. they're, they're just very, they're just an extension of the voice. Uh, a great blues player do the call and response thing, you know, where they'll sing something, then they'll play it back, you know,
0: uh, right.
2: like B.B. B. King. And, and, and it's just an extension of their voice. So... uh Piano players might argue with us, you know, but I uh, I don't it, think piano sound like a voice, do you?
1: <laughs> no, but uh, uh, yeah, you you worked with uh, bass Johnny Johnson and phenomenal.
2: Phenomenal. He made us play like real men. <laughs> He just uh, he knew how to pull the band back into a more grown up groove. You know, he was amazing. But uh, you know, man, I've got to also play a lot. You know, like Jimmy Hall on harp. Uh, got to know James Harmon, who passed away this past year, or was it last year? I don't know. Everything's a blur now. Uh, there's So many good harmonica players out there. You know, Kim Wilson. So many great ones. Yeah, and,
1: and, you know, J- Jimmy played in that, um, um, uh, the Bets Hall, yeah. Lavelle, and Trucks, uh, yeah. all they did, all they did was tour, they never made a
3: Mm-mm.
1: studio CD, they just have the one professionally done, um live recording. But you know Jimmy plays uh, sax on uh you know, Dickie's signature, uh Jessica. Mm-hmm. It, it, J- Jimmy is just so talented. He mm-hmm. makes uh the, the sax work in that arrangement. Yeah. It it yeah. And it, it, you know what's that like dealing with someone who is just so multi-talented in you know, sax or harmonica his singing is you know legendary <laughs> would just uh keep on smiling. I he he just brought so much to yeah.
2: the mighty well, Jeremiah's. That- Oh, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. He was the one that, he was the one to make that into a real project because, you know, as we started out talking, uh, it was originally me going in the studio with my stepson, John, on drums, uh, usually Dean Smith on bass or whoever was available, and we were just, just just jamming in the studio and writing little music bands. We didn't know what we were going to do with them. There, there wasn't meant to be a gospel album but it it, it it turned you know when we done John the Revelator, and there was a couple of other things, I thought, you know what you know this this needs to be more of a gospel type album, and we can, we don't have to be all gospel, but we won't have anything really crazy on here, you know um you know when I say crazy, it won't be any uh well, what am I trying to say? I, just, you know, I I, I want it to be more of a positive thing, you know, more of a positive message, you know. If you, like we did have a love song on there, we had a, that's how strong my love is, no oldest reading song, and um, mm-hmm. it's you know we just did. I just somehow there's a spirit on that project, and it just won't die. People, you know, a lot of people don't know about it. And um, uh, eventually, eventually, we're going to have to. I think I'm just going to have to do. It. I mean, I am going to. I'm getting more copies printed up, but eventually, I'm going to have to revisit the thing, and probably remaster it and and do some uh Maybe, maybe do a two or three bonus tracks or something. You know.
1: I, I I've really enjoyed. Uh, listening to it, and uh, it was uh, highly praised by Charlie Daniels, and it, Charlie yeah. s- seems like he it, it, his spirit is yeah. continuing to inspire you. What um, yeah. what, what was Char- Charlie like in w- real life?
2: Bigger than life.
1: (laughs) He was a big man with a big heart.
2: Uh, He just has this spirit that drew people into what he did. You know, Mark, you know, you can practice. You can become the greatest guitarist, the greatest piano player, or the the greatest musician. You know, unless you have that God-given spirit to draw people in, uh, as we say down here in the South, the anointing, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that is what draws people in, and he had that in abundance. Now, he would tell you that he was the greatest violin player in the world, but people love to hear Charlie get that thing out and play the devil went down to Georgia or play it on the South's going to do it again, you know. Mm-hmm. But he he just had a God-given spirit. And and he brought people together in a in a positive way, and I think well,
1: anybody. Uh, I'll, I was me. just going to say. Oh, good. Go, go ahead. I'll, 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 I'll let you finish.
2: Well, I was just saying. You know, I think he just kind of shows us that music is, you know, the the perfect vehicle to bring people together in a positive way especially in a time now when people are, are so divided, you know. But he he just always brought people together, you know. And uh, and if you saw Charlie, which the last time I actually saw Charlie in person was uh, the fall of 2019, and uh, I didn't know that was going to be the last time I saw him. But, uh, you know, he was always the same every time you saw him, you know. And I was lucky enough to get up and jam with him a couple times, play with him. He was he was a fine fella. Oh,
1: his uh, uh, what is it? the South's gonna do it again? Is a big regional hit. Uh, you know, just with the uh line, uh, lay your hand on a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Yeah, um, I think that's he, the line from that song. But yeah, that's uh, you know, played on DVD all the time uh, yeah. during Steeler season. Uh, yeah, he he's uh, very well liked in the greater Pittsburgh area. Oh.
2: he was, he was the best. He was such a great person. Uh, Jimmy knew him way before I did. Jimmy, you know, I, you know, of course, he started with Wet Willie, and they—I'm sure they did several shows together. You know, Wet Willie and Charlie Daniels. Well, you know, Jimmy was around everybody. Almond Brothers, uh,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Charlie Daniels, Van Lennard, Skinner. I mean, you know, he was around all the heavyweights. Marshall Tucker. Matter of fact, Jimmy and the Wet Willie band helped discover the Marshall Tucker band, the Spartanburg. You know, and uh, just amazing. Uh, and of course, Charlie. I think Charlie was known to a lot of the folks. A lot of those guys, they cut. They, he was like the godfather. Everybody, if they had a problem, they could always talk to Charlie. You know, and I think he was like everybody's uncle. That's what he always felt like to me. <laughs> kind like an. That's a nice way to be but, remembered yeah yeah he was just a great guy and of course uh i uh I bought a few things from his estate, you know, I bought a couple of road cases and I bought one of these old amps a, a mesa boogie and uh Chris his guitar tech oh his guitar tech that started with him in the seventies roger um Roger Campbell, you know, I'm still in touch with him <coughs> excuse me quite often. You know I mean all them guys you know uh, they they were a lot of them were with him for years, a lot of them you know uh, my buddy mm-hmm. bruce Bruce Brown the guitarist uh, he he started with him around eighty nine I think now Bruce is pretty much retired now he he said he had offers to go out on a bus and do the thing again, but he said i'm he's done with uh packing a suitcase, <laughs> you know.
1: It's a, since um, you, know, you just mentioned uh, you know, the uh, Marshall Tucker Band, uh, the Headhunters are going to uh, be on the bill with them next spring. Is that right?
2: I haven't heard. Uh, I, not oh. just, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Did you see it somewhere?
1: I thought I saw it on your website. Could or is it be. on uh it might have been on uh the, the Marshall Tucker website and said uh you know, the headhunters were going to be playing a date uh is oh, okay. Dave playing with with them too? Uh,
2: now who is are, t- are you talking about Dave Mason? Yes yeah dave mason is on the sh- uh, on a lot of those tours i, I didn't know we were actually playing a show uh with Marshall tucker i hope we are uh if you saw it i guess we are you know it. Anytime- i mean, i and- yeah dave mason we we thought we might get some of those shows uh and i maybe 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 they they worked out a couple or something i hope so
1: yeah, I'm, uh, yeah I'm scrolling through it real fast. I um, might. Have, is it in Indiana? Could be.
2: They were looking. One of the I know one of the dates they were looking at Atlanta, and I don't think it's the Opry House. Oh. I don't think. Do you find um,
1: it? March eleventh, shipping sh- sh- Shawana, I- Indiana. I'm sorry, I butchered that.
2: No, no. So, so are we playing with Marshall Tucker and Dave Mason.
1: Um, it's. I think it's just you. Uh, Dave is going to be with them on March tenth in Peoria, Illinois. Okay. But that uh that's uh it's advertised as their fiftieth anniversary uh tour. Yeah, that's big honor to be part of such a absolutely uh, legendary band, yeah. You know. They are. Was, I saw
2: I saw the original Marshall Tucker in
1: um,
2: nineteen seventy four se- well here, here's the deal. I'm not sure the year is seventy four or seventy five is Derby Eve Jam in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was Wet Willie opened the show, then Marshall Tucker, no, Wet Willie, Charlie Daniels Band, then Marshall Tucker. I mean, that was like, it was probably 74, that's what I'm guessing. It was, He's was talking about a great mm-hmm. show. Sounds like it. It was. It was wonderful. That's the first time I ever seen Jimmy Hall live, too.
1: Yeah, how, how, How's that when... He, yeah, you, know, you see someone you know, kind of like a kid, and you know, like thirty mm-hmm. years later, you know, you're actually working with th- that person. Well, it's uh,
2: what's the what's the word? It's uh, surreal, or maybe is that overused? How much? Sure. It, it's strange because when it's I first heard applicable, Jimmy, when I, when, yeah, when I heard Jimmy Hall, the first time I ever heard him was on an album called Dripping Wet. And it's a live album. And I thought, my God, this guy's one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. And I, I've just become a huge fan of the guy, you know. And I never thought, it. there again, I never thought I'd ever meet him, you know. And uh, so, you know, in 1990, how all this kind of started, when we did the first Johnny Johnson album, the guys wanted harmonica. And I suggested Jimmy Hall and everybody was all for it. And so I contacted Jimmy and he, and uh we got him to play and, and sing back up on, on the, the project uh, with Johnny Johnson, you know, that'll work. And uh of course we became fast friends and then that kinda led into the the Jeremiah's and then me and Jimmy also done another thing I, I played on called uh Build Your Own Fire. Uh, it's a tribute to uh it's a Muscle Shoals tribute to Eddie Hinton, and uh, you can check that out too. It's it's nothing really like the Jeremiah's, but it's similar maybe in a way. Okay. Our Zoho Records.
1: <laughs> Pretty cool. I will look for that. And yeah, yeah, build your own, build your own fire, Jimmy Hawk. And just uh, on on Monday, uh, you had Warren Haynes on, and he he was talking about um, you know when he's growing up, he's listening to the Almonds versions of uh, Mm -hmm. what like. Trouble no more. You know, it's, uh, yeah, that's sure. their cover of a Muddy Waters song. Then yeah. you know, once he gets in the Almond Brothers, you know, he, he, he's you know, he's talking about it, you know uh, what's the original version of uh, you know the song I'm pl- I, I'm covering, and yeah, you know, so he's going a uh, trace in the song uh back uh mm-hmm. to what uh four fifties or so um mm-hmm. you know a couple weeks prior to that when you had uh sue foley on
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she my,
1: was saying my, you know sorry. it almost like the same thing where mm-hmm. uh, uh before a show she, you know she's uh putting on uh, john lee hooker c d or something it, uh, when peep, you know you have your guests calling in mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they're always always you know they are the t- you know, tops of you know their professions but a lot of what they say is that they really never stop listening yeah. and learning to the original uh, exactly. blues guys.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think you – know, you know, you never want to – yeah, you always – as a matter of fact, I learned something from Warren the other night. I mean I learned something all from a lot of different people, but uh, even from Sue – and I, that's why I like doing these things because you always going to pick up something, you know, that, that you didn't know. But he brought up uh, the song uh, "Brother Bill," "The Last Clean Shirt," which I remember by Cactus. And the, the sad thing is, when Cactus did it, they didn't credit the writer. They 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 said they wrote it. And that's the reason I never could. I, that's the reason I never knew it was an old blues standard. You know. <laughs> I'm sure they finally got sued, sued over it, I, I would think. But, you know, the, the the beauty of growing up in the era of the, the late 60s and early 70s when acts like the Allman Brothers, Cream, Hendrix, and different people were doing these covers, you'd look on these albums and you'd go, well, who's McKinley Morganfield? Well, that's Muddy Waters.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or Chester Burnett, that's Howlin' Wolf. And then, you know, and then when we heard Almond Brothers do um, Stormy Lundy Blues, you know, we, you know, we, we went back and discovered T-Bone Walker doing it. And, um, oh gosh, it just goes on and on, man. So many great, you know, even a band like Cactus did Parchment Farm, which was a song by Mose Allison, who's not a, a, a an old blues artist, but he um, was kind of a jazz, Jazz Pianist. artist, I
3: guess. Yes, yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. There you go. And you know they did a great version of it, but uh, these bands would do really great things with these songs. But I think I think really the the best, is way to, you know, we can all listen to Jimi Hendrix, and and I'm as guilty as the next guy, you know, listen to Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, Peter Green, uh, you know, and, and we. But I think by going back to the original artist and doing your own interpretation is probably a faster way of finding your own true voice, you know, Uh, because those songs are just songs stand on their own. You know, if we heard Hendrix doing Come On Part One, uh, which was on Electric Ladyland from 68. When you go back and listen to the ver, you know the original version by Earl King, which is really good, you know, you can see how he took his, took that, and he just brought it forward to his own thing, you know. Yeah, I, I just think that's just, uh, you know, uh, going back to the original, going back to the well is the way to go, so to speak.
3: Uh,
2: as much as I love Stevie Ray Vaughan, and who is a phenomenal player,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, a lot of there's been a lot of kids. Inspired by Stevie Ray, but and and therefore there's a lot of people that there's a few kids out there that sound like you know, Um, but if you go back, if you go back, nobody going to sound like Muddy Waters. You're just going to have to do the best you can and interpret that song the best you can, you know.
1: Yeah, well, I I thought Warren and Sue just. Provided, uh, you know, just a, a, a great tip for yes, the, the you know younger artists. You know, you just uh, and I think that's one of the you know, reasons why I I really enjoy your show so much is you never lose sight of history. You know, maybe you're not dealing with George Washington and, and <laughs> that kind of history, but it's it it is an uh yeah uh, you know, the difference between the delta and chicago blues and sure. migrations of people up and yeah. down the mississippi river and uh it it, it the those uh, musicians and songs are a part of american history yeah
2: well yeah these them guys were singing about stuff they knew about
1: what they were experiencing right.
2: they're very you know very emotional, and that's the one tip take home write about what you know what you live, you know uh a lot of modern music coming out of Nashville, which I'm not putting down by no means, but I think a lot of people just get together and write a song that they can get on the radio. You know, uh, the old country artists, uh, man, they were writing about stuff that they knew and what they lived. And I think the blues—I I think that's where the genres co-mingle and they get together. They're—they're they're, they're really not that far apart, you know, because uh, they're, they're three or four chords in the truth. You know, it's—it's it's just what those people knew. Mm-hmm. You know, could Muddy Waters point. hang out with Curtis Tubbs? I think they could. I think they could hang out together just fine, because they were they were real people, you know. Uh, I'd say Ernest Tubb. I think even me and Warren talked about this other night. Didn't he say that? He said that Ernest Tubb. He was listening to Ernest Tubb recently. He said it sounded like he was just playing blues. I think is what he said. You know. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. There was, so, so, you know. Warren said something like that. You know, he gave that little antidote, yeah. You know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: mm-hmm and i love ernest tub man i love ernest Tubb and the texas troubadour as a matter of fact we went to you know when uh i messaged you today we were on our way to cracker barrel at cave city and we were listening to a, a live recording of ernest Tubb and the band from 1965 and uh
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: driving nails in my coffin is an old song by Ernest Tubb, which I absolutely love. My wife, she knew every word.
3: <laughs> I think it's,
2: it's there's a live recording. I think every if anybody likes real country music, traditional country music, Ernest Tubb and the Texas Troubadours recorded 1965 at the uh, Spanish Castle, which I think was somewhere around Washington or somewhere northeast up there. I can't remember exactly where it's at, Oregon or someplace. And uh, it's just phenomenal. That His band were just great. Leon Rhodes on guitar, Buddy Charleston on steel, Jack Drake on bass, Jack Green on drums. Man, I'm telling you, all these members, because cause I, I, I'm i so into them, and uh, Cal Smith on rhythm guitar, <laughs> you know, they were just phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal, man. If you want a, uh, if you want a uh, a quick lesson in country music, try to find that you can buy there's a two C D set you can buy. It's called uh, I i can not it's nineteen live nineteen fifty five, I think. It's it's a phenomenal Leon okay. Rhodes was an amazing country guitarist. And he played jazz too. The most country guitar players played <laughs> play jazz. Blues, they were just
1: great, you know. And, and, and I, I believe Junior Brown uh, really admired uh, Ernest Tubbs' work.
2: Yeah, yeah. Junior, Junior's into Ernest Tubbs for sure. Absolutely. Is Junior still out there doing it? I'm sure he is.
1: Oh yeah. yeah I think he's doing a lot. Um, his uh, yeah, yeah live streams from his house uh and uh, other venues around you know friends homes and garages you know,
0: yeah. other venues yes.
1: but uh you know he he he's um you know keeping himself uh safe but you know, still making a presence known you know, he uh he, he's very impressive
2: but we've done yeah. we've done one show with Junior. He's really great. And I did another show with him way back in Lexington with my stepson. We we had a, we had a little fun thing. We called the Outhouse Raiders, and uh, we we that up for him. And I I always loved uh, it's Junior Junior's wife named Tanya or Tanya
1: Tanya Ray. She's,
2: yeah, Tanya Ray. She plays rhythm guitar, right? Yes, she's she's great. And she
1: she she does some singing. She's really good,
2: really good. I, yeah, her and Junior are great together,
1: you know. Really are. Mhm. And you know, yeah, yeah, uh, they're uh, very nice people. I had a chance to meet them
0: after oh, okay. a show
1: one time. and Yeah. You know, uh, oh, um. Never got to meet him. Yeah. 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 It's not every day you get have a chance to talk with someone who contributed to Spongebob. but that... <laughs> That's correct.
2: You know, it, it's my fault. I didn't go... Uh, you know, I should have tried to meet him and, and his wife when we played with him. but I, I don't know why it didn't work out. Uh, but I, I assume... It, I figured they were nice people. I just didn't get a chance to, to meet them, you know?
1: yeah no, uh, you know, I... I Cherish the you know, minute or so had a chance to chat with mm-hmm. both uh, t- uh spoke with Tonya Ray a little longer but uh yeah really enjoyed them but um yeah it, it, with um you know you, you know, your talk with uh Warren on Monday it um yeah you know, there's he he you know, kind of got his what first break with uh you know, Dickies uh pattern disruptive cd then well uh Warren and Matt went would or, or uh Warren would go on to join The Almonds, like Mm -hmm. the next year, and then – that, but that became – the pattern disruptive CD. Was that kind of like the nucleus for government mule?
2: Mm, Yes. Yeah, let me think about that just
1: a minute. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, Warren – I guess Warren's first break to get him out of Asheville was uh, he – and when I met him the first time was in 1982, he was playing with David Allen Cole. Uh, oh, okay. I met him, I met him in uh, spring of 1982 at the Orpheum. And, and uh, he was with David Allen, for, you know, he was kind of a fish out of water with that gig. Uh, that wasn't what he was meant to do, but it was good. It was good to get, you know, he, he met people and then you're right. Um, don't know where he went after David Alan Cole. There must have been something else going on, but he ended up with the Dickie Betts band, as you were talking about, the Pattern Disruptive, mm-hmm. And then during that, now uh, was uh, Matt
1: Apps and, and
2: Dickie's band as well? I think he was too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah that's what it says in, on the...
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, you know cr- credits, and then uh, you, know, you know you played a lot of uh, Warren's new you know the government mule CD yeah. and, on Monday, and yeah, you know, he, he's doing you know really well on his his own too, just oh. sounding great. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Warren Warren has worked really hard, man. I mean, honestly. Mm. Eight, ten years ago or longer, man. The, the guy was playing with the Allman Brothers. He was playing with Government Mule. He was playing with Phil Lesh and friends. He was doing his solo career. I, I don't know how the guy done it, man. I, I don't know how he kept it all together. Um, you know, He's worked, worked his butt off. I, I think, of course, his main thing now is Government Mule. And he might veer off and do a solo thing every now and then. But uh, man, at one time that guy
1: was—I don't know how God he was
2: doing what he did.
1: Oh, he—he's he, another outstanding. Oh yeah, uh, musician.
2: But phenomenal.
3: It.
1: Yeah, it, and you know, Greg, we have about—I uh, think—kind you know, of the short show kind of be, uh, became. You know, <laughs> close to maxing out the
3: time,
2: <laughs> but hopefully, um,
1: okay,
2: hopefully, hope talked, hopefully covered a lot of the stuff you wanted
3: to. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, I, yeah, and, and, and I, I'm hoping the listeners learn something about the creative process. And, you know, we covered that on Tuesday show as well, and you know, it's just nice to learn from, you know those who are you know doing it and. -hmm. Achieving success, explaining how how to go about you know doing it right, but um, Mm -hmm. there's uh, you know the the uh, what's going on with the uh, grumpier old guitar (laughs) player project? Well,
2: that was really that that was just kind of here's what happened about about a week ago. I was in the basement where I'm at. Exactly where I'm at right now on my couch. I I had just finished up a uh, a promo for my radio show, and I sent Billy Gibbons a text. And I and usually you won't, you know, you'll either hear from him or you won't, and that, that's just the way it is, you know. It, it's Billy Gibbons; he's the reverend, you know. Well, the phone lit up; and it was Billy. So we were on the phone about thirty minutes. And he said, I thought that, that uh, I was going to have Warren Haynes on the radio show. And he was bragging on Warren. he said, well, me and you and Warren need to do, we need to do a, a podcast called The Grumpy Old Guitar Players. You, we'll start a song. You and I will start arguing. And Warren will come save the day. And I said, sound like a plan to me, you know. <laughs> yeah. You know, Will it ever happen? I don't know about that, but, it, but you know, after, usually if Billy tells you something, he's right on. It probably would work. It's it's just a matter of getting everybody in the right place at the right time, you know. Grumpy old guitar players, what a great idea. Because <laughs> all, all those guitar players are just grumpy. <laughs>
1: That's all there is to
3: yeah.
1: it. Well, yeah uh, uh, well, well, when you get the CD done, uh, let me know. I'll you know,
3: we'll,
1: <laughs> we'll get, give it a plug. I, I'm, I'm sure that would be a fantastic show. And but I you, think he was
2: talking. I think he was talking about a, a podcast where we we're just sitting around, like a video where we're sitting around playing songs, and I, who knows? You never know about <laughs> Billy. I may not hear from Billy, so. <laughs> you know, it's just, he's in a different orbit, man. He's orbiting around, you know. And every now and then, he comes down to our, our 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 atmosphere. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, we're down to about two two minutes left. Okay. And you know, Greg, Greg, I just want to thank you for being a guest. Uh, yeah, yeah, the headhunters are going to be at the Grand Old Opry. This mm-hmm. Saturday night, uh, right. the new CD, yeah, the new CD is that's a fact, Jack. Uh, you mm. uh, uh, see what else you know, the band is doing by going to uh, you know, KentuckyHeadHunters.net dot uh, net. Did I miss anything, mm-hmm. Greg? Uh,
2: that's pretty much it for right now. I'm trying to think if there's anything I do a. I do a guitar podcast uh, for uh, the live stream for um, uh, together. co t. Let me make sure I tell you this right. It's like two t h. I'll I'll send it to you. It's together. co. Okay. Not com. It's not com because you go to com and it, it comes up something really weird. You don't want that. You know. I wish okay. I I should have. I should have had that written down for you. Let's see. 2-T-G-T-R, I think, dot .co. I think that's what it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's fun. I do that twice a month. But uh, other than that, radio show, and then we're all just trying to, you know, want to get back into the, the regular touring thing and just hanging in there.
1: Sounds good. Okay, well, we're... Almost out of time, so I just want to thank you, oh. Greg, and we'll get okay. the archive to you tomorrow. T- take care, everyone. T- thank you so much, and yes. t- see you next week.